Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. It's Friday. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. We are live. We are on the air. It is, uh, it is the weekend, essentially. Not quite, but we're almost there. Ready for some soccer. Ready to talk about Jose Mourinho today. Ready to maybe, maybe, maybe go into this whole controversy. Ami Wambeck started things, and then mixed Discaru responds to things, and then Landon Donovan is tweeting about things. And man, do I really want to go over all of that? Probably not. But I, we will we'll have an open phone line sis, uh, situation later, and I imagine some of you are going to want to talk about it. So just keep it in mind, okay? Christian Hennage will join us on this show today to talk about the special one who is now the fired one, the sacked one, uh, the jobless one. Uh, yeah, all of those things. We will go over the situation at Chelsea Football Club, take a look at the Premier League this weekend. It's not good at Chelsea. They're getting antsy over at Manchester United. They're, you know, Liverpool's up and down. The Jurgen Klopp era is starting with a little bit of rockiness, some good things, some bad things. It's a very Leicester top of the table. Leicester this weekend at Goodison Park. Lots to talk about. Man, so much. Uh, is there anything MLS-wise? Nah, not really, right? Second stage of the re-entry draft happened. I think like two pe- two teams made some made some uh, choices. Eh, okay, whatever. So Christian Hennage on this show momentarily, just a couple of minutes away. We can either talk about that or we can talk about DJ Khaled's Snapchat account, which is made, like, if you can't see me right now, if you're not watching the video, you can, you, you don't see the, the, uh, <laughs> you don't see how, how, uh, my eyes right now, I have tears in my eyes, not because I'm sad, but because I've been laughing all morning because DJ Khaled's Snapchat account is the best thing in the history of the world. And I am, I am lobbying producer Trevor to reach out and try to get DJ Khaled on this show. Not, not, I don't even know if we would be able to talk soccer. I, I don't know if Khaled's a soccer fan, but I just wanted to have him on the show because major keys to success. I mean, you, you gotta, you, you, they don't want me to have DJ Khaled on the show. Major keys to success. All right, let's hit the news before we get to Christian Hennage. After a, a start that saw them drop to 16th place in the Bar- Barclays Premier League, Chelsea has fired manager Jose Mourinho. That happened yesterday. Reports of discord between the Portuguese manager and the players has uh, led to this decision. Robin Abovich reportedly offered Jose a £50 million buyout that he turned down. Now, if Jose is just that upstanding of a guy, good for him. I, I, I can't imagine you turn that money down. Maybe there was a, a, an agreement made, a, a lesser payment, but that would be stunning. Goose Hitting reporting, reportedly in line to replace Jose for the balance of the season. Now, uh, the question is whether or not that's actually happening. It's a done deal. I'm seeing a lot of tweets today from Dutch sources that say uh, that, that Hitting could actually travel to London this weekend, going to go over some things, take a look, uh, talk to the powers that be there at Chelsea, and, and make a decision perhaps this weekend. Uh, meanwhile, a lot of reports out of Spain that Diego Simeone is the long-term target for Chelsea Football Club. Now, that's interesting in the light of the fact that we have more reports out of Germany that Pep Guardiola is, in fact, going to leave Bayern Munich this summer. So he will be in play. Uh, I think Chelsea probably still would go after like somebody like uh, go after somebody like Simeone. I'm not sure Pep would consider Chelsea anyway. But if Pep Guardiola is out there and Roman Abramovich being Roman Abramovich, you have to imagine there will be at least some contact. All right. U.S. International mixed discrew again responding to Abby Wambach's suggestion that U.S. men's national team coach Jurgen Klinsmann has relied too much on foreign players. Uh, this is getting ugly. Uh, and, and not, look, th- there's, there's a reasonable discussion to be had here. Uh, but it's, it's to the point now where I think we've lost the ability to talk about this rationally in a lot of cases. Disgrude writing on his Instagram account, Wow, Abby, I guess there are pros and cons in limiting the base for selection. You have just singled out a few of us, but why? Why are we your single oddballs? Think about who you try to disenfranchise, because if you see us as a group to disenfranchise, then at least let it be known who we are. Stats and history will show our group. Okay, stop that. Stop that, ESPN FC. That's, That's very rude. Stats and history will show our group has more than others produced and volu- uh, produced volunteer and defending soldiers for what by us is willingly ga- chosen and gathered to be worth protecting your nation. Wish you would accept it as ours too. 
Uh, it's a little all over the place. Uh, from Discarude, it, it, look, I mean, again, I, I know we're not quite equal, he says. From your group of people, the country's commander-in-chief need to be selected. However, other than that, you and I share something not unique, but constitutionally earned, a birthright to defend this nation as an American. Wherever we go, led by whoever has earned by democratic process his or her right to lead, on or off the field, in peace, in war, in practice, or in uh, any other kind of pursuit of your happiness, enjoy your retirement, but stay active. We all need you, oddballs or not. Mix again a little all over the place. I, obviously, Mix is making a point that uh, despite the fact that he did not grow up in the United States of America, he is American. Um, I, I don't know that she's talking about Mix. I don't know that she's talking about any. Okay, she mentions Jermaine Jones specifically in her comments to Bill Simmons. So it's out there. Land again. Landon Donovan has now weighed in on this controversy. He went off on a uh, Twitter. Not I won't say rant, but he certainly threw out some tweets last night. Um, that have mixed this up a little bit. Um, Bo on uh, Bo Dur on Twitter can't believe people are bringing soldiers mix and Google engineers coward into this discussion over the men's national team overkill. Yeah, when Colin Cowherd is is getting some run as a commentator on the U.S. state of the U.S. men's national team, uh, per Abby Wambach's comments, this is getting out of control. Let's uh, let's move on here. Again, we may have this discussion. We can open this up. We try to be as rational, as fair, and as open and honest as possible here on Soccer Morning. I'm not going to throw out any bombs. This is a, look. If you're American and you're eligible, you should play for the national team. I'm going to put the burden for this situation on the head coach. It is Jurgen Klinsmann or whoever's in charge. It's their responsibility to make the chemistry of that team work. Uh, that's sort of what Landon Donovan went off and talked about last night. Maybe we'll cover his tweets later. Copa America 2016 schedule released yesterday. The U.S. men's national team kicks off their group stage. On June 3rd at Levi's Stadium in the Bay Area, uh, the USA, USA, Mexico, Brazil, and Argentina will be the seeded teams for the tournaments. Uh, for the seeded teams for the tournament, the USA will be in Group A. Mexico opens up on June 5th at the University of Phoenix Stadium in Phoenix. San Antonio City Council has approved the purchase of a purchase of Toyota Field, the home of the NASL San Antonio Scorpions, as part of their push. To bring MLS to San Antonio, I'm going to follow up on this story, uh, try to get a little bit more detail. I don't have a ton here to go on other than this is part of the process that is going to lead Spurs Entertainment or whatever they're called, the team that, uh, the group that owns the San Antonio Spurs of the NBA into the soccer realm. Again, big weekend, matches coming up. Chelsea, Sunderland, Saturday, first game without Jose Mourinho. Everton, Leicester, that's on Saturday. That's the league leaders visiting uh, Goodison Park. Manchester United and Norwich. I, I saw that Wayne Rooney could make his something like 500th appearance. Is that right? How many appearances do does Wayne Ro Rooney have for Manchester United? It's, I'm sure it's a lot. Did I read this right, or did I just gloss over this too quickly? Because I need to, I need to, and and there's a matter of, um, that's not right. It's five, not five hundred. Uh, there's a matter of of whether or not Wayne Rooney will be healthy enough uh, to play against against Norwich. So we'll we'll keep an eye on on Manchester United. Ignore the five hundred thing. Just go with that. Uh, Italy, Inter, and Lazio enter top of the table in Italy and in the Club World Cup because you're all so excited about it. Barcelona. And River Plate in the final. Messi and Neymar, will they be healthy? Does anybody care? I don't even possibly know. Let's take a break. When we come back, Christian Hennage will join us. We'll talk about Chelsea and Jose and the Premier League. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, good guests. Major keys to success. Major keys to success. Get your guests on the air. Christian Hennage joins us now on Soccer Morning. Uh, let's talk some English football. Let's talk about the biggest news in the world right now, and that's the sacking of Josie Mourinho by Chelsea Football Club. We'll go into some other Premier League topics as well with Christian. Hi, hi how are you, Christian? I'm not too bad, thanks, mate. How are you? I'm I'm doing I'm doing relatively well. Uh, this 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 English stuff is going to be a nice distraction from some of the uh, identi identity issues we're having over here with uh, American internationals. So let's uh, let's do this. Let's dive right in. Jose Mourinho sacked. 
Uh, again, December 17th. Um, earlier than you ex- I mean, look, it, it wasn't going well. There was justification, and certainly with, Abra- uh, with Abramovich at the helm at Chelsea, you always knew there might be a quick trigger. But did it happen sooner than you expected? Not really. And I say that because <clears throat> you have to go back to the, the 1930s to see uh, a title-winning side that the title won't start. I think it was Man City that were relegated after winning the title. So when you have to put it in, in that context, I think that highlights how atrocious this season has been. Then you hear the reports of potentially him being asked to, to leave in the summer, the, the fracture there. And in general, just the public kind of unrest, I would say, that, that's been between Mourinho and the football club this season. It was going to come, and I think the truth is the the second that Chelsea wrote on their own website that the game against Sunderland was a vital one because Sunderland are just three points away, you started to think, actually, I can see him going before Christmas at this point because it's not looking pretty. No, certainly. Uh, again, this is... This is very, very, uh, very stunning. I mean, that, that stat that, that this hasn't happened this way to a title winning team since the, since the 30s, which was a very different time, um, in the world of football, clearly, uh, is, is amazing. And I guess what we get to then is, is again, this isn't, I think the question of whether or not he deserves to be fired or not is sort of out the window. It, it was, the, the, the record was so poor that there's really no argument that they should have stuck with him at this point. Uh, the question is whether they can replace him well enough to, I, I don't know, what's the, what's the goal now, Christian? Well, that, that's the interesting thing. I, I was kind of theorizing myself last night. Is You look at the fact that you have Ancelotti available, you also have now Pep Guardiola available with his situation at Bayern Munich. And I just question, perhaps, that's what's forced Roman Abramovich's hand. I mean, he realizes that Essentially, it's easier to, to remove the salary of Jose Mourinho than remove the salary of five or six players that don't work for him anymore. And thus, get rid of him mid-season, which again is something he's done before. Bring in a, a fixer or a, a jobber, if you will, an older manager to see them out to the season and spend the time in between sort of now and the end of the year or the end of the campaign, excuse me, working hard to try and get someone like Pep Guardiola to come in. I, I personally wouldn't be surprised if if that's the game plan for Chelsea now, is, is to see out the season, accept that, realistically, the Champions League is out of the question through the league form, at least. I mean, they could still do it through the Europa League. We've seen them kind of get into the competition in that route before. And that wouldn't surprise me if that's how we see Chelsea play out for the rest of 2015-2016. Uh, rumours that it might be Goose Hiddink to come in. Now that, I mean, you know, and, and a nice little paycheck for, for Goose to see the season out with Chelsea because I, I think at this point what we're saying is this is addition by subtraction because there was clearly something wrong in that dressing room, Christian. They, the, the players weren't playing for Jose anymore. Uh, he was alienated from them. He kept saying things publicly that, was, that, that weren't about breaking them down to build them back up. It was just, it was lost. Um, so just by that fact, I mean, Hitting can hardly do worse with a talented squad. Uh, the t- a team as as uh, valuable as Chelsea in terms of each player's worth, so he gets them into you know solid mid table spot and and he cashes a nice paycheck and they move on. Realistically, yes, um, his, his win percentage at Chelsea was a, a fairly respectable seventy three percent during twenty three games when he was there last time. They picked up the FA Cup as well. Of course, all of that is cast alongside his time with the Netherlands and, and how poor their qualification campaign was and the fact that there was perhaps divisive characters in that squad as well and then how does he handle potentially a similar situation. I would be inclined to say that, that realistically, the second Jose Mourinho walked out the door of Stamford Bridge, all of the ill will in that squad likely left with it. And that's not a, an aspersion on, on him. It's, it's more to say that when that person leaves, then a lot of the bad feeling leaves with them. And I think the players will almost mentally reset. I think players are quite easily fixed in that sense. Uh, and it, some of them will know hitting as well. Sure, certainly. Uh, and, and, and look, again, whether or not he had a poor run with the Netherlands the last time um, you know, he was on the job, He's got a reputation as being a, a respectable manager, and, and as you said, maybe the, the 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 age thing is actually a factor here. I mean, the psychologically for the players, 
to have a a, a a manager as vastly experienced as Goose Hiddink is going to help them after, again, the, the sort of the immature petulance that Jose Mourinho was showing for the last, I don't know, four months. I think that's a very good point. He, he's someone that I think can, can play diplomacy very well. I think he's also someone that we know is, is vastly experienced, has been you know in coaching since something ridiculous like 1987. So again, yes, he has that experience. In an interesting way, you could almost argue he has similarities to Mourinho in the, in the fact that He's not someone I think of as having a long-term stint in any club. Mm. Um, he's someone that does kind of get in, do the job and leave, particularly kind of in the, the latter stages of his career. He is someone that, that hasn't stayed very long. I think Russia's one of his longer gigs kind of post-2000. I think he was there four years mm. um, in total. So, again, he's that kind of mid-season fixer. He's, he's essentially what they needed him to be last time when he came in. So if you can find him and you can make that agreement, which it seems like they're doing, given the spot in, in London, um, then I think you have to do it. It just makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, as for the targets, the potential long-term hirings that Chelsea might be going after, you mentioned Ancelotti. Uh, his name is being bandied about as a replacement for Pep Guardiola at Bayern Munich. Pep Guardiola likely to become free. Everyone's reporting, um, including Bild, that he is going to leave Bayern Munich this summer. That would put him in play for, for Chelsea, for Manchester City, perhaps for Manchester United, if it, uh, if it really doesn't work under Louis van Gaal. Then there's um, then there's a name like Diego Simeone who's been connected. Uh, several people, I think uh, uh, Guillaume Balag has said that, that, that Simeone may be the guy uh, that, that Chelsea is targeting. Of those candidates, um, you know, is it a matter of who's willing to take the job, or is it a, a best fit situation? I, th I think, in fairness, all of them would be willing to take the job because it's Chelsea. I, I think if I'm choosing personally, I'd be inclined to say I'd want Pep Guardiola. And the reason I say that is, is not simply because he's won Champions League and he's won leagues and that sort of thing. I think also, you look at Chelsea and their youth system, they've had a number of, of solid players in there. They've had the likes of Jeffrey Brewer, Patrick Van Aanholt, Sturridge has kind of flitted between after his move from City, Barini. None of them have made a long-term impact on the first team now. And they've bought a number of young players that have come in, the likes of Lucas Piazon, for example, who, again, still haven't come in and made that impact. If there's one thing I can say about Pep Guardiola, it's that he's able to transition young players into the senior side and do it in a way that doesn't hamper the first team. Mm -hmm. And I think for Chelsea, long-term, much like Man City, in fact, and I, I think that's why you often see Man City out for them as well, They've spent a lot of money on that youth structure, that youth infrastructure, that system, even players in general who are young. And it hasn't burst them results quite yet. You haven't seen someone, at least in my opinion, come in and consistently play in that team. Raheem Sterling is kind of this weird anomaly because he costs 50 million. I, I think he's a, you, <laughs> if you spend 50 million on a young player, he has to play. But no one that they've spent kind of single digit millions on that's come in and, and had that success. And I think for that reason, if I'm Chelsea, I'm looking at him to say, right, we've got the infrastructure, we've got the tools to, to build a quality young player. Now we need someone with the ideas on how to do it. And that is, for me, Pep Guardiola. Uh, and one of the things that's remarkable about Chelsea is the number of players they have out on loan, Christian. I mean, I'm looking at the list. Uh, this is per Wikipedia, but I imagine it's fairly close to, to accurate. Um, you know, there, there's so many guys that they have on their books that they've sent out. You, you have to imagine with, with the, the issues that they have in the current squad, the injuries, the lack of form for, for players who have been crucial in recent seasons. I mean, again, guys who have so, simply dropped off the table from, from a championship winning season last year to this year, there's got to be some help here. Why, why are we not seeing some movement there? And how much of that is, is Mourinho being obstinate? I, I don't think it's Mourinho being obstinate. I, I think, again, there's Michael uh, Manalo in there as well, who gave an interview to Chelsea TV yesterday and referred to him, referred to Mourinho as the individual, which I thought was quite cold and, and perhaps a little bit callous as well. He will make a lot of these decisions that we're pinning onto Mourinho. Of that group 
I mean, it's interesting that they actually have a WhatsApp group to keep in touch. Um, I was reading quite recently <laughs> there's that many of them. I, That's I think, amazing. I think certain, yeah, seriously. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's some of them in there. I look at Mario Pasalic, the Croatian who's on loan at Monaco. That's someone I, I think could do something interesting for, for Chelsea at the minute. Nathan Appy as well. He's someone that I've been watching at Watford quite consistently. I think he's been brilliant. And yet, I mean, his his form has come in quite fortu- fortunately in the sense that he's not a left-back by trade, but that's where Watford have had to use him and by his own admission. He's never played consistently at left-back, and yet he's thriving there. So, yes, I would say there's probably a handful of those who are in there who could actually come and make an impact back at Chelsea. Andreas Christensen's probably another one, the Danish centre-back. It's just whether you can recall them. I'm not sure personally on the specifics of the loan deals and whether you can recall them. If you could, I'd be tempted to because I think an injection of youth in that squad is is not a terrible thing right now because I think it needs a little bit of vibrancy to it. It looked a little bit flat. It looked a little bit kind of lacking in, in... maybe effort and all those kind of intangibles that we, we talk about. If the, if the team dynamics are toxic, then what, then how do you fix that? Well, you, you bring in some, some new elements. Now, again, if these guys, you know, I, I don't know the, the professional locker room, the professional dressing room. I've never been in one. I've never been on a team like that. And maybe there is some, you know, some resentment if these guys come in. And uh, who knows? We'll see how whoever takes charge, whether it's Hiddink or somebody else, handles that. Um, what there's a rumor that just came across my Twitter feed, uh, Christian, that I think needs to be addressed, and that's um, there's a story. It was in French, so I've translated it uh, through Google for me. Uh, my French is very rusty. That that Abramovich reportedly called Didier Drogba hours after Mourinho was sacked and asked him to come back, probably in a in a coaching role, probably in a mentorship role for some of these younger players, probably to come in and be what Didier Drogba can be, which is the enthusiastic leader. Um, I don't know if that this is going to happen. I think Montreal Impact fans should be worried about it, though. It, what could a what could a Drogba do, knowing he loves that club, knowing that he left, probably not because he wanted to, because he needed to. What could he bring to this club at this point? I think he brings leadership more than anything. I think he brings unity as well. If, if you look at kind of what that club means to him, uh, I think it, it tells everywhere every time he talks about them. The thing is, as well, if if you look at the time of, of Villas Boas and and how he attempted to essentially deconstruct what was the core of that club, he tried to move on a lot of important players in the dressing room and, and how quickly that backfired for him and how quickly that turned on him. It's not an easy thing to do. And if you look at Chelsea, it's, it's almost happened piece by piece. You had Lampard leave. There's talk that Terry's not good enough anymore. Drogba went to Montreal, as you touched on there. The little pieces have gone away. And I'm just not sure if, if like-minded individuals or like-minded characters have come in to replace them. You look at, let's take Drogba as an example. Drogba leaves, Diego Costa comes in. I don't see the same mentality in the two of them. Well, if no, anything, no. I see a petulance and a selfishness in Diego Costa and someone that actually isn't willing to play for the team can often be self-motivated and, and looking only at how is this situation benefiting me? Mm-hmm. Am I scoring goals? Am I doing what's important to my job and my remit? And you need, in any team, especially one despised to the, the goals that Chelsea do, you need those who are selfless. And I, I don't see many selfless characters in that team right now. Yeah, I mean that that that's sort of, and it seems that as though that 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 is directly that it should be laid directly at the feet of Jose Mourinho. I mean, as you said, you know whether or not John Terry has been treated fairly, and, and certainly his 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 leadership has been undermined. And then there's just the sense that like that, that guys who previously were leaders or or should be moving into leadership roles and i'm thinking you know gary cahill ivanovich um a couple of other players in this group who are maybe not older players but certainly capable of holding that that uh, that respect have not been given that opportunity or not have not taken that opportunity it maybe fault lies in both parties i think in the case of ivanovich it's bad timing because He's not the player he once was. Right. I think Gary Cahill, certainly, you, you've, you've made a fantastic point there. Players like Gary Cahill should be moving into that sphere and, and should be moving into that leadership role. I, I think we've had enough warnings, though, that, that there wasn't that kind of mentality in the squad, that there wasn't that prominent leader outside of John Terry, because I, I personally believe you don't just need a captain. You do need 
leaders throughout the pitch, uh, particularly when you're a big club. I, I was debating with, with someone yesterday. I thought personally in the game against New York Red Bulls where they lost 4-2, that was a very telling moment and that was quite a concerning moment because, to put it bluntly, they were beaten by kids. This wasn't an off day against seasoned professionals. And I think if you look at just the dynamic as well, certainly the transfers were a big issue. You go back to when they won the league the previous season, Mourinho knew exactly what he wanted. He wanted someone to dictate the place. He went and bought Cesc Fabrega. Everything that he needed from his squad in terms of the tactical side of things, what he wanted them to achieve, he managed to get in the players that he purchased and he did the business quickly and they were integrated quickly. Yeah. And in the case of Fabrega, they knew the league they were coming into, so there was nothing for him to worry about. I didn't see that same fluency this summer. I saw them kind of scrabbling around for the left-back that ended up being Baba Rahman, who, again... I think has potential, but that is not realised yet. And to bring someone like that in at just 21 years old, who really is coming off a solid season with Augsburg, granted, but is still very young, it's a big ask and it's going to take time for him. And it's no surprise that we haven't seen Robin that, that often this season because he's still developing himself and he's not really ready to take that first team mantle away from someone like Azpilicueta or even, to a much stronger degree, Branislav Ivanovic. Yeah. All right, Christian, I am not necessarily someone who, uh, you know, I, I, it's, not that I, it's not that I hate Chelsea. I, I can be guilty of schadenfreude on occasion. I actually, I actually kind of have a soft spot for Jose Mourinho, despite his attitude, his petulance, um, his, 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 uh, uh, his degree of <laughs> just the way that he, he comports himself. I, I tend to think that it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of an act rather than who he might actually be. So I don't necessarily sit here and wish for Chelsea to fail, but if Chelsea, regardless of who comes in, if Chelsea was to be relegated, and, I, and again, I, I don't, I think it's unlikely to happen. I imagine that, that whoever comes in sort of stabilizes things. They get enough points to stay in the, the 12, four, uh, 12, 14, 10 range at the end of the year at, at the, at the lowest. But if they were to be relegated, how big of a story would that, I mean, is that the biggest story in Premier League history that the champions were relegated in a modern context? I think so. I think it's hard to look past it. I, I, I also... I can't realistically see it happening with Chelsea. Uh, there is an old mantra here that says you're not too good to go down. And it was first applied to Leeds United uh, when they went down with the likes of Alan Smith and Mark Viduka and, and players that, interestingly enough, had played in the Champions League. I think they played in the semi-final only a few years prior. So, on that hand, you do certainly look at it and say they are not too good to go down. I also feel inclined to say that, again, it wasn't a case of poor play necessarily. I think it was a poor relationship manifesting on the field. When you have someone like Eden Hazard substituting himself after 10 minutes, when you have kind of the the situation with either Canero playing out in public, it all points to to grander problems. And, And in that sense... We trace the dots backwards. We we look retrospectively and say, well, you know, people have written pieces about it. These were the five moments that said that something was wrong, and all. and it's not until you put that chain reaction together, no. usually after the manager is relieved of his duties, that you say, well, clearly there was something wrong. Look at all these problems. I think in many ways, when you remove one of the people from that situation, you take a lot of the problems with them. So, I think for Gus Hiddink. I wouldn't say it's an easy situation to come in. I think it's a situation that's easy to rectify in the sense that he comes in with a fresh idea. He comes in knowing that a lot of the animosity was attached to the manager, not the football club, and more importantly, not each other. If it was a case of the squad were actually sniping at each other and and didn't like each other, then I could understand. You've you've seen the one instance of Diego Costa insisting or insinuating that his defenders were asleep with that gesture he made um, against... Uh, I think it was a Bournemouth possibly no sorry it was um, oh goodness I'm forgetting but essentially he made the, the gesture that, that they were asleep that for me Lester? is, a, was it is one drop yeah sorry that was Leicester thank you my mind was escaping me there for a second against Leicester so that to me doesn't point that the squad in general is in trouble it just points that, that actually they're, they're frustrated mm-hmm. as a whole and it's, it's 
maybe starting to go that way, but I think it'll stop before it gets. Yeah, there. I mean, uh, like eventually, talent tends to win out, and and they're they're so far down that that a chance at a fourth, uh, you know, top four spot is probably out the window. Um, you know, historically speaking, there's there's almost no chance of that. But they 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 have enough talent, and someone can come in and again get them playing together just a little bit. They'll they'll get enough points to to be fine in terms of that. I just again just the the thought that they could possibly be relegated is is so stunning at this point. Um, they have Sunderland tomorrow. I mean, it's it's too early to call that a relegation six pointer, Christian. But at the same time, Sunderland. You know, uh, needs every point that they can get, and Chelsea is right for the taking. And and we'll see if there's a new manager bump or at least an interim manager bump here for Chelsea. Very fascinating game. It is, and I'm sure Arsenal fans are more than happy to call it a six pointer. Um, I think this game is is not the ideal game if I'm a Chelsea fan, and I say that because I just have this image burned in my head of Sam Allardyce laughing at Mourinho when <laughs> when he said he he outsourced him. Yeah. Again, if there's one thing you can say about Sam Allardyce, it's that he loves a good away game like this. And there are so many of the elements that, and so many of the cards, if you will, that are in Sam Allardyce's hands now. And he can essentially see all of Chelsea's, to use an analogy. He can go there, he can put five at the back, he can shut down the space, which I think he's done very well. I think actually, if there's one thing I'd say about the tenure of Allardyce at Sunderland, it's made Sunderland a lot harder to play through which I think at times they were quite easy to pass around. That regressed slightly against Watford. I also think they'll take a mental strength Sunderland from the situation at Chelsea and knowing that with the point situation at the bottom of the league so close, I mean, they're only three points off Chelsea, but there's a real opportunity to score a big win, take a lot of confidence. Essentially, I know we say it's not a six-pointer. For Sunderland, it is in that sense. It's worth a lot more because it drags some of their rivals in. It gives them a huge confidence boost. They've won at Stamford Bridge in recent memory. They went there a few years ago when Nedim Anua scored a wonderful solo goal. So it's not unthinkable for them to go and get a result at Stamford Bridge. I think they have to be focused, though. They, They can't believe that this is a wounded animal because often when you do that, that's when it strikes the most. and. I know enough Sunderland fans that are already saying, we'll get home to 4-0, don't worry about that. <laughs> the fact that we're even remotely confident means we'll get stuffed. Uh, I mean, Sam is the perfect guy <laughs> to be on the to be on the touchline against Chelsea in the aftermath of Jose Mourinho. I, it's just there's so many so many narrative points here uh, that are just fascinating, uh, Christian. I'm very much looking forward to that. All right, um, that l- l- leads me to the, to flipping this over and asking. What next for Jose? I mean, we we don't know. Um, I don't know that he's the. I, I imagine he's going to go away for a little while. Um, but it's not as though he's not. It's not as though he's just going to be able to to sit there and and stew and and deal with it. I think he's the type of guy who has to be involved again. And whether that's just giving interviews, making television appearances, but there's going to be a job somewhere. What what's next for Jose? I think he has to go away and think and think about what he wants his career to be. And I say that because we talk a lot about him. The trope is, wait till the third year, it'll all go to pot. Something will go wrong, he'll leave. He'll not see into the fourth year. He talked a lot about wanting to build a legacy at Chelsea. He has talked about Sir Alex Ferguson. I think he sees him in many ways as something of an idol and something someone to aspire to. The difficulty is his actions and his words haven't been parallel. A lot of the decisions and solutions he's put forth at Chelsea have been short-term. They've been within that remit of, I'm not staying here very long. I don't need to think about 2016, 17, 2017, 18, etc. So I think he needs to spend some time and try and debate, with himself at least, how much do you want this legacy of being at one club? And can you actually achieve it anymore? Because Chelsea is probably the only club I can think of bar perhaps Porto for him where he could go and stay for 10 years or could have gone and stayed for 10 years because the fans adore him even with them in his current position there are fans saying we want him to stay we didn't want him to go etc etc a lot of the, the fan channels are saying that so in terms of his next job, I mean, there's talk it's Real Madrid. If he goes there, again, I see another short-term stint. I see the reinforcing of that trope. 
is that something he wants to do? I think he needs to be a little bit more selective with his next job. PSG, there's another team that I think would look at him, could be interested in him, maybe aren't so happy with Laurent Blanc because he's, he's not of the ilk that they want for their aspirations. It's just about what he wants his career to be at this point. And I think if he decides that, then he'll be able to attack his next job with the kind of force and venom that we expect from him. And I felt like he'd lost that a little bit this season. You watched him, he was a little bit dishevelled. He wasn't as quick as, as usual. The quips weren't there, the jokes weren't there. And it was it was the kind of more bitter Mourinho that I think we saw in Italy, just with a, a slightly less refined look to him. And, you know, the, we always talk about the, the digs he had at Claudio Ranieri being nearly 70 and only winning small trophies. I thought it was slightly poetic that it was Ranieri that essentially con- condemned him to his fate with Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. He needs to go away and just fix, I wouldn't say fix himself necessarily, but I think he needs to just evaluate where he, where he's going and why he's going. I mean, it, 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 it's a very strange sort of the career of a top-level manager in general, Christian. I mean, okay, what he did with Porto in 2004, obviously, um, you know, an incredible achievement. Um, the last, the last team, if I'm not mistaken, from from a league outside the big three or four to to win the Champions League. He he made his reputation honestly, but once he ascended to the top level, and we're talking about a, a, a group of clubs that are maybe ten deep. That, that are appropriate for a coach like Jose Mourinho, then it, it, it starts to become more about momentum and inertia than it is about his ability to, to coach that team. I mean, winning a, cha- uh, winning a Premier League title is no, no small thing against uh, you know, the likes of Manchester City and, and United and everybody else. In the, but it's not the same as taking Porto to the Champions League. It's not, the same, it's not even the same as Claudio Ranieri taking Leicester to the top of the table at Christmas time in the, in the Premier League based on the relative resources. It's, it's very, I, I'm saying, what I'm saying is, do you think Jose Mourinho feels fulfilled in the, uh, in the achievements he's even capable of once he's ascended to the top level? I would argue potentially not. And I say that because the trophies are wonderful. I think every manager aspires to lift them. I also think there is a human element to a coach that actually wants to be liked and wants to be loved and wants to be appreciated when they go back. If you look at his clubs that he's been at, Porto, Madrid, Real Madrid, Inter Milan, Chelsea, I don't know how many of those clubs, bar perhaps even Chelsea and Porto, would actually kind of think of him in fond terms and welcome him back and see him in the same light that, say, Manchester United do Sir Alex Ferguson. I think he wanted to be a legend at a club. I really do. I think he wanted not to be a footnote in it. I think he wanted to be the whole book, pretty much. That's what Sir Alex Ferguson is to Manchester United. You can't talk about that football club without talking about him. I think Sir Alex Ferguson arguably even surpassed Sir Matt Busby in the context of Manchester United history. He's the genesis... He's the beginning, the middle, the end. So in many ways, I think Mourinho is striving for that same thing. And yes, he's won trophies, but I don't think he's achieved that thing yet. And he's still trying to do it. The difficulty is it takes time, it takes patience, it takes reinvention, it takes maintenance. It's a lot of different things. It's almost like running a classic car. And I don't think he's got the patience for that, unfortunately. I think he's too focused on instant gratification. And as his career has progressed, I think a lot of, the people signing him up for these contracts and, and jobs believe that is what he is. He's instant gratification. He'll get you what you want in the short term, but he can't do anything that is needed over a long term or a long long process because that's not how he operates. Mm-hmm. If anything, he burns himself out. I think he burns his players out and essentially fits the the, the stereotype that, that Bella Gutman was professed that you should never stay at a football club more than three years. It is it is dime store psychology, and I fully admit it. But I am fascinated by what's going on inside Jose Mourinho's head, and I am I I just imagine that there is a lot of self doubt, despite the the image he puts forth. And it's uh, maybe one day when he's done, when he's retired, when he's no longer trying to catch. Um, those trophies uh, in, in those short stints with various clubs, we, we will we, we will get the full story of exactly how Jose Mourinho's brain worked 
especially during these times at Chelsea. Christian Hennage, go follow him on Twitter. Uh, fantastic follow. Writes on uh, the Premier League and on MLS and on various other soccer topics. Uh, Christian, thank you very much for your time as always. It's a, it's a good, uh, good chat. We'll talk to you soon and uh, have a good weekend. Pleasure, mate. Hopefully speak to you soon. There goes Christian. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll open up the phone lines and talk to you about whatever is on your mind on a Friday at Soccer Morning, worldsoccertalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, boys and girls, we are back on a Friday edition of Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. And we're talking about soccer. Or we're talking about DJ Khaled. Whichever one you guys want to do, I mean, really, it could be anything. It could be anything that's on your mind. You know what? This is an, a very ask Jason sort of day. You have you have a problem. You have some personal issues you need to work through. Uh, you have a question about what to buy your significant other for Christmas. Um, you, you don't know which jersey to wear out to the pub tomorrow. Whatever is on your mind, we can talk about it. I am willing to give you an answer. It may not be the right answer, but I'll give you an answer. Robert out in L.A., what's up, man? Hey, good morning, Jason. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, my friend. Bless up. Bless up. Hey, uh, I want to talk about you. We were talking about earlier, uh, Abby Wambach, the uh, last game in charge. And I know uh, the, the whole talk is about the comments, but I want to ask you something else. Uh, since the game, lo- since they lost, and it was like 105 games on the strength on home soil, and I noticed that all the soccer media was saying it was the, the right result. It was like, this, the word they chose was being, and now they're, and I just thought it was very, uh, I don't know, hypocritical at first. There was like, as the streak goes on, they're all saying, like, it's up to the new generation to keep the streak going. And then once they lost, they're saying, well, uh, it was the right time for them to lose, and now we can start a new winning streak. And I just uh, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, I mean, you know, we want to have it both ways. It's, it's, look, it's a friendly. It's like their 112th game of the year because of the victory tour. I, I mean, obviously, I'm exaggerating, but still, I don't, I don't, I don't really have a problem with, you know, sort of spinning it either way yeah you know what it's probably it's probably fine that the streak ended the streak had to end at some point might as well be abby wambach's last game when all they were doing was hoofing the ball up to abby wambach to try to get her a goal i mean it might as well be because now you can without abby wambach in the team without her influence over how they play and, and that was starting to change of course at the world cup but now that she's actually gone, they can move forward, Robert, and be the team that plays the ball on the ground, that uses their speed, that uses their forwards, that, that play off the back shoulder of the last defender, and, and, and really move into a new era that doesn't involve, let's lump the ball up to Abby. Yeah, you're, that's right. They, they do want it both ways. And it, now, you know, with a whole, I mean, not, not just one, but she's retired, but you'll have uh, Shannon Box and. Uh, Lauren Holiday and uh, also Megan Rapinoe, she's out. And one thing I heard on the, on the broadcast was saying that she may be back in time for the Olympics, which I don't think it's going to happen. And I remember, like, you remember two years ago when uh, this injury happened to Falcao and it was all, like, the next six months, it was will he, won't he? And I just don't want to go through that thing with her and, like, try and rush her well, back to... No, no, you're right. I don't think she's going to be at the Olympics. So I, I just don't want to go through this whole, like, drama fest of it. But that's going to happen, Robert, because she's so important, because she's so good, because she's so influential. There's going to be a lot of, of talk leading up to the tournament whether or not she's going to make it in time. And I, I'm with you. I, I, I would prefer to avoid that. And I, and I think that if there's any question at all, then she should sit it out. I mean, don't risk the rest of your career because you're racing to get back for the Olympics. You know, I, I, I just, or don't risk, don't risk going out and, and changing your legacy because you're rushing to get back for the Olympics. I mean, she's going to turn, she's going to turn 31 during the tournament next year or right around that tournament. Uh, 
She's going to have four or five more good years in her. There's no reason at all to rush back for the Olympics if there's a, even a question. I mean, if the timeline is she could make it or she couldn't make it, then let's just let's err on the side of caution, right? Yeah, that's a good thing, man. She already has an Olympic and, and a World Cup, so what What more can you want? Uh, and that's all I'll say. And can I say you just one last thing, Jason? Uh, you were talking uh, since all the European games are tomorrow. What's your upset of the week? My upset? I'll, I mean, I don't know that it would be. Oh, so what do I have here? Let's see. Let me let me look at the schedule real quick. You can't pick Chelsea losing. It, it can't be Chelsea. Okay, if it can't, if it can't, no, everyone's beating them. <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know. And it, but it is Sunderland. I mean, it's not like it's not like uh, Manchester City's coming in to. How about this? How about I mean, I, it, it's an upset only because of the league table. I will take Everton to win at home over over Leicester. Okay, that seems like a good one. Yeah. All right, Robert. Appreciate the call, man. All right, yeah, but happy Friday. All right, man. Major keys to success. Calling up soccer morning. Major keys to success. Daniel in the ATL. What's up, man? Daniel, are you there? Yeah. Hello. There's Daniel. Hey, Daniel. Hey. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, sir. What's on your mind? I just wanted to chime in real quick on uh, Jose Mourinho. Okay. Um, he, he dubbed himself as a special one. Now he's a fired one, and he put his panini in the oven for too long. <laughs> okay, is that, is that all you wanted to say? That's that that that's what I wanted to say about Mourinho. He, he he's not a bad manager, but he he was just he left it in the oven for too long, and it burnt the office. I you know it, again I, you know what I brought up there with um with Christian Hennage, uh, Hennage, it, it's it's a matter for me it's interesting to consider whether or not. Jose Mourinho is really working as hard as a coach as he used to. You know what I'm saying? Because once you get to, and again, you know, it's not easy. Look at Louis, what Louis Van Hall's going through at Manchester United. I mean, certainly coaches have come and gone and had problems at, at Real Madrid. If you were, um, if it was easy, anybody could do it. Rafa Benitez is finding it hard at Madrid. But there's certainly a level that you're going to reach, generally speaking. You know, if you're at United, you don't really expect to drop below third or fourth or fifth. If you're at Real Madrid, if you finish below third, then it's a disa- like a disaster of a season. So is there the same sort of effort? Is it the same sort of intellectual challenge that it is to take a team that's less fancied and go win something again? Or, or, or even make a challenge at winning something? If Jose Mourinho, What I'm saying is Jose Mourinho is not the coach that could go take a job at Norwich. But if he did take a job at Norwich, maybe he would enjoy his time more because he'd actually have something to achieve that nobody thought they could achieve. You know what I'm saying? Remember, yeah, remember when, remember when we used to be in high school? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Senioritis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's senioritis. It's basically he won the league last year. He thought it was going to be another walk walk in the park to get another one. Yeah, something like Just that. Like he did a couple years ago. Yeah, it is, it is, it is, he, does, he does lose... Interest. Thanks for the call, Daniel. He lo- does lose interest pretty quickly. I mean, we've all talked about it. Three years and done. It's done. Bobby, New York, you're on the air. I don't get why Abby's making a huge ordeal about this because literally, like, every country in Europe and the men's side do it. Like, have a Germany's team. Yeah. Are well, yeah, but that doesn't German. look, Bobby. And in obviously, Switzerland, you're, what's, you're talking about. Ahead, you're talking about Abby Wambach's comments. You're talking about Mick Disgrude's response and then Donovan's response. And you know, Donovan went out and basically said he knows for a fact there are players in the U.S. men's national team who don't feel American, don't identify as American, and have essentially said, "I'm here because I want to play in a World Cup. I'm here because I want to play international soccer, and I won't have that. I don't have that opportunity with my quote unquote home country." And there's a real question to be asked there as to whether or not those players should be in the team. But I put the burden, Bobby, not on the player who's eligible, and if he gets called up, he gets called up. I put the burden on the coach. And that's that's certainly what Abby Wambach was doing. She was basically saying, um, and maybe she chose the wrong words. Again, the fo- the word foreign is a problem. But what's, I think what she's saying is, in terms of the, the chemistry of the side, you have to ask some questions. It doesn't mean that Fabian Johnson shouldn't be in the men's national team. It doesn't mean that Vix Discrude shouldn't be in the men's national team. It means that you should be careful about selling out on that front if it's going to change the chemistry of the team too much. 
that they're no longer effective as a team. I mean, I, I'm not there, so I can't judge. Right. I see both sides of the stories, so it's just hard to, hard to like not necessarily pick sides, but just support someone. But I have a random MLS question for you, if okay. that's okay. Shoot it. Go ahead. Do you think it's time to get rid of the reentry draft and, and some of those um, mechanisms? Because it, hasn't it seemed like the past couple of years that teams really haven't been taking advantage of that, being that only three players have been selected this offseason in the first and second round of the entry draft? Uh, the reentry draft was that hedge against free agency that we got out of the CBA in 2010. Was it 2010, 2009? Whatever it was. Um, clearly, we've reached a point now where um, free agency is a thing. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I would say yes. I mean, certainly I would love for free agency to be expanded. Uh, they, they picked a very restrictive form of it with 28 years of age and eight years of service. Those players who are in the reentry draft don't necessarily meet those criteria. I can't remember what the reentry draft criteria is. Basically, if you have your your option, if you're five years in, and you have your option declined, you go into the reentry draft. Um, I, I guess, Bobby. I mean, the number of players picked doesn't necessarily mean that the system has no value because if those players go through two stages and aren't picked, now they're free agents. Um, that probably means they're not wanted in MLS anymore. Uh, or at least not at that salary, and then they're gonna they're gonna have to take a pay cut to remain in the league. But I I mean I see the like if you get through, then you are free to sign with whoever you want. I I think it's fine. I mean I I don't I, again I don't know if I've thought about it too hard. I I didn't know that you were uh, eligible to be a free agent after the second round, so that's good to know. Well, yeah, because if you haven't, if you're it, basically what what it is is the first the first round is there's a a bump in salary. That you, if you're taking the first round, you get an automatic bump in salary. I can't remember what the percentage is. Um, I have to go back and look at the rules to get this right. So I apologize if I'm, I'm way off here. The second round is I don't think there's any bump in salary, or you take you're just t- taking at your previous your previous contract rate or something like that, which is why you see more usually see more players taken in the second uh, second round of the rancher draft. But if you go through both rounds, then I I do believe you are then free to sign but again you're 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 basically the admission from the league is that you're no longer worth what you were previously paid and and now now you're gonna have to probably negotiate something lower right and this contract was or this uh this conversation was just so mls i know i know like don't you have a low-grade headache right now like just yeah 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 yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is like why that. I need some whiskey. Right, have a good weekend. Thanks man. a lot, Bobby. Appreciate it. Good call from uh, from Bobby up in New York. Let's uh, stick in New York with our man Eddie up in Brooklyn. What's up, Eddie? Hey, what's up? Uh, I see. You know, I got beef that USMNT are going to be seated in the Copa America, sure, right? Sure, of course you do. I know you do. Of course. Uh, why the hell are Mexico seated? Uh, but highest ranked team in Concacaf, I would imagine. I don't know because no, it, it was the, the the press release that I read was some nonsense about uh, due to their rich soccer tradition in, in the hemisphere or some <laughs> crap like that. Is that really what it said? Uh, okay, yeah, no, that's legit what it said. And that's that's why that's why Brazil is also seated. Which I'm not gonna have beef with Brazil because Brazil's you know top ten team in the world and has been for, okay. for like since forever. Okay, My beef um, is let let me see what? let me see if I can find this. Uh, I I just want to. I just want to like. I just want to get the actual uh, language here because you're probably right. But uh, let's see. Uh, that, that, that group seeds once in a lifetime soccer tournament. Uh, host nation USA earns the group A seed, while Argentina, as the highest FIFA ranked nation in the Americas, will be seated atop of Group D. In celebration of the rich soccer tradition in the hemisphere and as the most decorated nations in the last 100 years in international competitions from their respective confederations, the national teams of Brazil and Mexico has, have also been awarded group seeds and will head groups B and C, respectively. <laughs> you're right. You're right. That's pretty funny. Yeah. You realize who's not seeded? Uh, Costa Rica? No, the defending champions of the actual tournament. Oh, Chile. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, why is Chile not seated? <laughs> That's <good> exactly. <laughs> Look, so it, as as if as if you needed any more evidence that this is a money grab tournament oh, yeah. doing oh, money yeah. grab things and is not worthy of anybody's respect. The tournament organizers basically let you know that. Yesterday. Uh, of course, of course. And look, here's the thing. I feel comfortable saying this, Eddie, because I have very little faith. 
Uh, there's there's basically no chance that the United States wins this tournament, okay? I'm going to say that. And I'm sure Alexi Lawless will be mad at me, and certain American fans will say, well, why the hell are you playing if you don't think you can win? I'm just saying from my perspective, I don't think the United States is going to win the tournament, okay? So I feel comfortable in saying that if the United States did win the, win the tournament, I would be crowing like crazy. I don't even care if it's a money grab. Blah blah blah. Because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have to deal with the 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 question of whether or not this is a legitimate tournament or not. But let's be fair, as you said, it's a money grab. It's not exactly the same as a as a as a, as a, a regular Copa America. But for the teams that don't participate in this tournament, usually, and the USA is one of them, if it gets to the point where they're a semifinalist or something like that, then I'm gonna call it a big deal. I'm sorry, I just am. No, it's fine. It's human nature. I, I mean, I, I get it. I understand the wanting to celebrate and all that and uh, the tradition, and which, by the way, Mexico's tradition of not making the quarterfinals of the World Cup like year in, every four years is pretty hysterical to me. But Chile, like, they won the, they won the damn tournament last year. You, you would think that they would get at least yeah. that much respect from the tournament organizer. That's, that's all I'm pretty much asking. No, no, you're, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 but then... And, and maybe my uh, my biggest concern with that is not just just not just the unfair thing that the defending champ. Now they won that that tournament at home. You don't really shouldn't take too too much away from them, Eddie. But they won that tournament at home. Uh, I mean, they, they're incredibly talented. Let's let's not act like they're not. Um, it, it, not just the unfair thing that the defending champion is not seated in the next tournament. But now you are sort of sending that message that it is a money grab. That it is about uh, putting through the biggest teams that are going to draw the biggest crowds in the certainly in the knockout stage of later rounds and and now you're basically sending the message to 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 nations like Chile, maybe Colombia, maybe uh Uruguay that you know why why go hard at this? Like why make this a serious thing to that you're trying to win if they're going to set this thing up as the money grab sham that it is. Yeah, I mean when you think about it also a lot of the players, this, this is going to be the second consecutive summer of playing some soccer after, you know, a full season of playing soccer. Champions, if you think about a guy like Alexis Sanchez, these guys are going to be exhausted. How much are they really going to care to begin with? Last year was important because it was on their home soil. This year, not so much. I mean, even even the fact, like, I don't want to get too carried away. Like, all right, they seeded. That's fine. Mexico seeded. But when they get Colombia in the group and they get smashed 3 nothing, it's really not going to matter. Yeah. It's just the overall message that the tournament organizers decided to send to begin with is the problem that I have. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it could mean nothing in the end when, you know, Mexico gets uh, the group of deaths. Uh, although this, you guys always <clears> think <throat> you're in the group of deaths for some reason, but yeah, but, but, you but know. as you said, it, it's obvious by the group, the, the groups, the, the seated teams in the tournament, the United States, Mexico, Brazil, and Argentina, that is all about bringing the most money in because you are, you're giving those teams the advantage by seating them so you, that you, because you hope that they go far and then they, get, they draw the crowds. Those are the biggest draws in the tournament. Right? Right. Yeah. No, and, and I'm kind of, I don't know how the tournament is going to set up, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's set up for a Brazil-Argentina kind of semifinal and sure. like maybe a Mexico-USA kind sure. of semifinal. Yeah, yeah that, would, like that, that would surprise nobody. I would be nobody. shocked if that's how the bracket's set up. That would, be, that would surprise nobody. That, that, in fact, I can guarantee, you know what? Let's just guarantee that's going to happen, Eddie. Let's, let's call that right now. Eddie from Brooklyn on soccer morning, letting you know that when the, when the draw comes out, when the bracket's laid out, it's going to be, it's going to be set up. It, not a guarantee. They got to win the games. So it's going to be set up for a USA Mexico semi, Brazil Argentina semi, so that you have a final featuring one of the powers from South America versus, you know, one of the powers from North America. This is the way it's going to happen. That wouldn't shock me at all. Yep. All right. Uh, what else you got, Eddie? Anything else? No, that's pretty, that's pretty much it. I'm not. I'm not going to beat the dead horse. I'm going go with that. All right, man. <laughs> you're good at that, though. You are. You're really good at beating dead horses. You're the. You're the best at it, Eddie. <laughs> I mean, I'm just the best at making a really good point. All right. Have a good weekend, dude. All right, you too, man. There goes Eddie in Brooklyn. Good stuff from Mel. Always love talking to Eddie in Brooklyn. Let's uh, let's talk to Bill in New York. It's a New York kind of show. Repping hard. We got L.A. We got New York. We got Atlanta. Uh, I missed Pierce. I don't know what happened to him. But those are the three cities representing. If you live somewhere else and you're like, why the hell is, is my town not on Soccer Morning? You better call me. What's up, Bill? Your call was good to me again. I wanted to talk about the Club World Cup, but then Eddie goes off on <laughs> the Copa America. How can you look at the bad side of this? I just sort of said, well, the final is going to be in the New York area. Eddie, you can go and see this final. And instead, you're going to worry Look, about Okay, so, so Bill, Bill, so Eddie's a, half, a glass half empty kind of guy. I mean, come on. 
it takes it, it takes different folks, it, different folks, different strokes. It takes all kinds. It just is what. It, look, I, I think it's fair to identify what the tournament is to point out some of the flaws and some of the, the shady elements, and also be like, because that's where I am, Bill. Yay, Copa America! I'm so freaking excited. I mean, you know, uh, it don't, it, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm bursting. Like I, I'm, I don't care about all that stuff. I'm bursting. I'm ready to. I'm ready to do it. Let's go. I can't wait for it. It's great, and I can't wait for the semifinals where it's going to be U.S. versus Costa Rica. Costa Rica is going to get four red cards, and we're going to win. with <laughs> send down four players, and we're going to win one nothing. And Ed's yeah. going to lose his mind. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to talk about uh, the Club World Cup real quick, and. If there's a must-watch game this weekend, it is that game. The uh, River Play fans, I saw that game. Anybody who didn't see that game, it is incredible what they did to fans there. I've always said that the fans are like 10% of the game, 15% of the game, not River Play fans. They are 75% of the game. I could have shut the screen off and just listened to the fans. It was incredible. I can't imagine what they're going to do when they play Barcelona on Sunday. I think it's going to be incredible. That is the absolute must-watch game of this weekend. Okay, Bill, it's the must-watch game. What time is that game happening? DVR it. We all have DVRs. Uh, we and do. It, we do have DVRs. It, that, like, ga- that game's at 5.30 a.m. Eastern time on Sunday. <laughs> so, hey, yes, use your DVR. You Jared would go out all night long, and at 2.30 in the morning, he could sit down and watch this game in some bar out in L.A. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're if you on the on the West Coast, you might as well just make it a, like, a you might as well just stay up on Friday night. You might, you might as well just stay up tonight, uh, uh, sorry, Saturday night. You might as well stay up, go out, have fun, arrive home, turn on the TV at 2.30 in the morning and watch this game. Yeah, might as well. But, but you have to watch, I, I cannot believe the River Plate fans, how they got to Japan for that semifinal game. They are they like the richest fans in the world? How no. did they all get there? It was incredible, and the scene was incredible. It was just a great spectacle to watch these fans, and it's going to be even better when they play Barcelona on Sunday. I think that um, I want to say that River Plate actually that the club did something to get the fans there, uh, but maybe not. I mean, maybe this is just a matter of the the fans wanting to go uh, to Japan. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'll watch for this. I'll take. I'll take your advice. They played. They played a Japanese team, and more than half the stadium was River Plate fans, and it was incredible. And all you heard was the River Plate fans watching that semifinal. And like I said, it, the final's going to be great when they play Barcelona, and they really go crazy over that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a story on this. Uh, I'm going to try to fill in some of the gaps here on why so many River Plate fans are in Japan. Thanks for the call, Bill. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, Jason. There goes Bill up in New York. We go back out to California to buy coastal kind of show. Uh, all you, all you flyover country people, you're being left out. I don't even know who this is out in Cali. Wants to talk about uh, Abby Wambach. Who's this? Oh, it's, it's Yusef and Davis. What's up, Yusef? Um, so yeah, I want to talk about like the whole foreign player comments. Um, my thing is, I feel like lots of time people have this perception that foreign players automatically don't care as much about the national team as you know, you know people born within the States. But I feel like people often forget that there's a lot of people who are born here, grew up here, that play soccer, but still don't have that allegiance to the national team or care as much. Like, I think of like basketball, for example. Like you look at U.S. basketball for the longest time, they had a lot of difficulty getting players, like the top players to play for the national team. And I can see that, that same type of issue coming up with this, where it's like, even if, like, it could be people born in Germany that care more about the national team than lots of people born within the States. So there's, like, assumption that because you're born here or grew up in U.S. soccer, that you somehow care more than other oh, people. Sure. I just, I just don't buy it. Okay, here, Yusuf, here's my, here's my, my take on this. Um, again, it's a very individual, personal thing. Okay, how you identify, who you identify with. I mean, mixed disc root identifies as American, and and that's supposed to mean something. And I guess it does. But as you said, it's a matter of, uh, for me, it's a matter of effort. It's a matter of caring. It's a matter of coming out there and, and putting everything on the line. It's a matter of trying to be part of the team. I mean, sports are about that. So that's on Jurgen Klinsmann to work in these guys or, or whoever's in charge and make sure that, that the dynamics and the chemistry work. Um, if, if, if you care about whether or not somebody identifies as American, okay, I guess. But again, that's very personal. And it's, you, you can't just look at somebody and decide that, right? We can't, I'm not going to slap a label on anybody just because 
I don't know, because they don't sing the national anthem, that's not really fair. Uh, I think that it's a very, it's a very complicated uh, identity in this in a, in a world that's shrinking, in a world that's full of of immigrants to begin with, in a country that has always been built on immigrants. We should accept everybody. Um, and then there's the the other side of this for me that is about America developing as a soccer country and it being right that we take concern and interest and pride in the players we do develop within this country. Okay, so. These are different. These are different ideas. These are different issues. One of them is kind of tricky and can get xenophobic and is weird. And one of them is just for me. It's a matter of I don't. I don't mind if Fabian Johnson's in my team. He's a great player. He helps my team win. I'm happy to have him. But I'm going to be a little bit more concerned, or I'm going to have a slightly different sort of interest in a player who grew up playing in the United States of America and is also helping the national team. It doesn't mean that I want. The, the guy who grew up here to be picked over Fabian Johnson, it just means that if that player does get to that level, if Diossi's artist gets to the level where he's helping the national team, then I'm going to be excited that we have a player who learned how to play soccer in the United States who is helping the national team. And the same thing goes for dual internationals. Gideon Zalalem is a perfect example of this. He's a kid who, while born in Germany to Ethiopian parents and went over to Arsenal at a young age to start playing uh, in an academy, Learned a lot of his soccer here, and I think that there's a right. Uh, it's, it's right for us as American soccer fans to be um, to to take some joy in the fact that Gideon Zalalem was identified as a talent in the United States after playing in systems that made him a better player here. So that's it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely taking pride. Like, like for example, you see someone like Kai Kamara. I mean, sure. that's that yeah, also absolutely. something that as a, U, a fan of U.S. soccer, you'd yes. be proud of that. Absolutely. Someone who went through 100%. the ranks of the system. And, and even better because the American system gave Kai Kamara an opportunity to, to find his talent and become a professional. Yeah, he represents Sierra Leone. That's where he's from. That's, that's, that's who he wants to help. He has uh, his school program back there. He's, he is African. He is Sierra Leonean. He, that's who he is. But in terms of how he became the soccer player he is, that's the United States of America. That's the soccer program we have here. That is evidence that as a soccer country, we are capable of producing players, giving them the opportunity and the coaching and, and getting them to a place where they become players as good as Kai Kamara or better. All right. I seem to have uh, lost Yusef. Not sure where he went, but there he goes. And I'm all fired up and it's Friday and I think we're going to wrap this up. I think we're done. All right. So next week obviously is holiday week we will be here i believe we're going to be here the whole week are we gonna be here the whole week what day what? okay no no thursday thursday is christmas is christmas eve right so i believe we're going to be here monday through thursday unless trevor hayward decides that christmas eve is a holiday around these parts i believe we're going to be here monday through thursday uh so just just to let you know what our schedule is going to be we will not obviously be here on Friday. That is that is a holiday for for everybody. Uh, for for you know whether or not you celebrate, it's a holiday. So we won't be here on on Friday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, web show, and then Sirius XM, all four of those days as well. All right. Thank you for listening to Soccer Morning. Bless up. Keys to success. Uh, what else? Somebody, uh, I want to say, Lion, Lion. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. You're missing out. Uh, thank you very much to Christian Hennage for his thoughts on Jose Mourinho. Fascinating story there. We will continue all of these discussions over at SiriusXMFC Channel 85. If you have the channel, go over there and uh, and listen in. If you uh, if you don't have the channel, then I'm sorry. You should get the channel. All right, we're out of here. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your soccer. Bless up. All of that stuff. We'll talk to you on Monday. Bye. Disappear. What I put my heart on every cursive letter. Tell me why the hell no one is here.